0: Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Well, we are back again with Back to the Egg, Wings' final album, released the 24th of May in 1979 in the United States and the 8th of June, 1979 in the UK. This mixed bag of an album, some love it, some hate it, was recorded in unusual circumstances, In a time where rock and roll was changing, new wave was around. People like the Sex Pistols, The Pretenders, Elvis Costello, Debbie Harry, and Blondie were dominating the airwaves. So Paul decided to take on this new, harder, rocking, yet stripped-back version of rock and roll as a follow-up to London Town. Chris, did you get this album when it came out originally?
2: No, that was a few years before I got into Paul. Okay. So, 79 was a little before I actually discovered McCartney. But when I first heard it, it was one of the last Paul albums I I got as I was catching up with his work in the mid 80s. And it struck me as pretty esoteric. Quite. Even more so than London Town. I didn't know what to make of
1: it.
0: Yeah, it's a bizarre album. The songs are great individually you can pull tracks off or like listen to the singles I mean we'll explore that in the next few minutes and hours kind of as a whole when I put this album on I don't know what to make of it
2: it doesn't hang together yeah it's it's even less cohesive than something like Red Rose Speedway at least Red Rose Speedway had a it had a cohesive sound you know it, yeah. it all sounded of a piece. Sonically, right? Back mm-hmm. to the egg, you know, much is made of the, you know, the idea that this is Paul's uh, answer to punk or his answer to new wave. I think that's a little overblown. We're really just talking about a few tracks that have some fast electric guitars. A lot of it is similar to London Town, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and we had discussed this at the end of the London Town podcast, that the sound, the fidelity of the album is clean.
2: Oh, very good, yeah.
0: But yeah, you're right. It, it says it. London Town and Back to the Egg could almost be a double album where London Town's covering the more soft stuff and you just have more of an amped-up guitar sound on Back to the Egg.
2: That's absolutely right. They just sort of invert the ratio of soft rock to regular rock.
0: Right. Right. Chris Thomas is the producer on this record, and he's responsible for the Sex Pistols and the Pretenders. As we'll see, some of the songs on this album predate Wings at the Speed of Sound, predate London Town. A couple come back all the way from that magical period in like 69 to 72 or 3, where Paul is just writing all these tunes. And it's fitting for me as the last Wings album.
2: It kind of felt like he was done, right? It feels as if it's run its course. And there's a lot of talk in the history around this album about Paul being rather tired. Yeah. The new band members say he seemed a little bit sick of being in Wings.
0: His quote was that his enthusiasm had peaked despite finding new players such as Steve Hawley or Lawrence Juber. Even there's a quote I pulled from Linda where... Linda confided into Steve Holly that she, she just didn't want to be in the band anymore. All I truly want, she told the drummer, is to be here with my family.
2: And we're going to see George Martin charmingly lay down the law to Paul a few years later about the whole band thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's George Martin who finally says, stop pretending you're in a band. Put the album out on yeah. your own name already. Well, he
0: was like, if you
2: want to do a Stevie
0: Wonder sound... Paul, let's just call up Stevie Wonder. Stuff like that. Like, just call <laughs> right. the guy up.
2: Uh, it makes me make think of the synth trombone on Baby's Request that we'll be talking about in a little while Yeah, again. Apparently a very good trombone player in the building.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I have a new synthesizer. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, before we dig into Wing's Last Flight, all we really have lying around is George Harrison's George Harrison album. A favorite of mine.
2: February 1979 one minor hit and as you say one of George Harrison's best albums in fact I would place it after all things must pass yep maybe my second favorite yeah
0: yeah absolutely I think you're dead on with that
2: this album does a good job of recovering from George's slump in the mid 70s this is really one fantastic song after another he seems to have made some big leap here as a songwriter And the production finally really works. It sounds like a a really high-quality 1979 album. Very clean production, but also very smooth. It's that late 70s, mellow studio sound, just done to a T, just done perfectly. Really nice. With, again, a lot of strong songwriting on it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: You have any favorites on here let me think i mean aside from all of the singles blow away love comes to everyone and faster i mean yeah and that's the crazy part here we are talking about a george harrison album where i'm like yeah i love all the singles wait what else is on this album oh yeah here comes the moon
2: you know yeah. um yeah I, I soft-hearted hannah not guilty a leftover from the white white album, album right I even like the
0: Gary Wright co-write, if you believe, that closes out the vinyl. I mean, not the CD. But this is, yeah, this is just a nice record.
2: Maybe we should compare the Beatles anthology Not Guilty to this 1979 studio realization.
3: Yeah, let's do that right now. Not Guilty you're getting in your way While you're trying to steal the day Now I'm not guilty And I'm not before the rest I'm not trying to steal your best I'm not trying to be smart I only want what I can get I'm really sorry for your aging head But like you heard me say I'm not guilty street getting underneath your feet not guilty No use handing me a writ while I trying to do my bit Do-do-do-do. I don't expect to take your heart I
2: only Yeah the new day version day. really does the song justice. It probably has a different vibe than it would have had it been on the white album but well quite quite
0: so but this this album has that polished Late 70s, L.A.
2: sound, I'd call it. Smooth L.A. studio sound, yeah. Things
0: like Christopher Cross. Christopher Cross wins a Grammy in 1981 for the song Sailing. This fits in that vein. this The session musicians are great. As you said, the songwriting is great. Who produced this again?
2: This is co-produced by Russ Titelman, who was on right. everything in the 70s. He was doing the best of uh, Randy Newman's early albums. He was working with Ricky Lee Jones on Pirates. A lot of good work from James Taylor, Meatloaf. So I, I'm guessing he has a lot of responsibility for the improvement in the sound here.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at this right now. Sail Away, Good Old Boys, Little Criminals, Born Again, and Trouble in Paradise. All of my favorite Randy That's Newman the stuff.
2: albums. <laughs> yeah. That's the stuff. Yeah. It's funny how few people today actually know Randy Newman for that great period it's weird, People, right? People know him for his movies and all these other things. And I think of Randy Newman, and those that's what I think of, that group of albums you just listed.
0: Yeah, so do I. And a guy like Randy Newman, to be on Warner Brothers, to be on a major label, he's such an indie act in the 70s. He's writing these, yeah. these little melodramas, these nice little songs for a niche audience. But it's so nice that they exist, those records. They're so great. The productions, the lyrics.
3: There's a red moon. Rising on the Ohio River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. There's a red moon rising on the. An oil white, down the River, rolling to the lake blow away
0: white, a single off of this album made it into actually the top 20 in the US billboard Hot 100 at 16. 51 on the UK singles charts and actually broke the top 10 on the US Billboard Easy Listening chart at number 2 and in Canada number 5 on the Adult Contemporary chart and number 7 on RPM's top 100 so as you said he's out of his slump he's charting again he's releasing good songs
1: Dayton
3: black, Sky Rift apart. rain free my heart cracks in the leaf- no oh, thoughts could Bad to good.
0: So, we're going to kick things off before we dive into the album with a single McCartney released called Good Night Tonight. Now, this is a Latin tinged dance floor sort of a groove. An unbelievably catchy but
2: bizarre, bizarre tune. (laughs) I, <laughs> yeah, wonderful tune Yeah, Sticks in the head
0: Yeah, And the thing I had not realized When researching for this Because the first time I heard this record Was on All The Best Sometime in the 90s So all of this history had passed And you're going through, you hear Jet You hear Band On The Run, you hear all these Okay, these are classic rock songs And then near the end of the record Something like Goodnight Tonight comes on And you do a little research on it And like, wait, this is a hit? How <laughs> how was yeah. this a hit? I will say this about Goodnight Tonight's lyrics. Say anything, but don't say Goodnight Tonight. I feel like Paul is coming out of a creative slump with this, lyrically. Hmm. I think Uh London Town, he's exploring lyrics again, but something as clever as Goodnight Tonight, or even how the A side of Back to the Egg was called Sunny Side Up, and the B side is called Over
2: Easy. His wordplay is back. It's true, things got a bit workman-like in the mid-70s at times. Yes. This is more fun. And
0: I never realized that this song, Good Night Tonight, was started during London Town
2: at Rude Studios. That's right. And it's like... Can I just say? Yeah. What I love about this single is that it actually bookends the making of Back to the Egg. Good Night Tonight was begun at the end of the London Town sessions, and Daytime Nighttime Suffering was recorded after all of Back to the Egg. You're finally putting to rest for me when this song was recorded. I didn't know where it fit in the chronology. and Well, it was begun with London Town at the end of the London Town sessions, but brought back about a year later for Lawrence Juber and Steve Holly to work on.
0: And it was this seven minute, 16 version, this super long. Well, you can hear it in the track. It sounds like a drum machine was set up. It's just a bass line. And I'm ashamed to say, I haven't mentioned
2: it until now, what a fantastic bass guitar part, right? Oh, wow. How have we not mentioned it yet? This is up there with Silly Love songs. In fact, I think it's better. I think it's a better bass line. This silly is love his songs.
0: best one of his solo period. Maybe yeah. even better than something like Day Tripper or Lady Madonna or Hey Bulldog. Like, this is the song. Without this, you, you don't
2: have the song. Oh, it's it's the hook. The melody, although catchy, is you know it's slow and moves it's sort of laid over the baseline so it's sort of not to get in the way of the baseline
0: right don't say good night tonight I don't get to go
2: holding the 12-inch single uh, in my hands right now, uh-huh. 79, which has the seven-and-a-half-minute full-length version of Goodnight's Night with the second verse. I just wanted to raise the idea that this is among the first 12-inch singles. Is that probably true? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds right to me. It's bizarre because I'm looking at it and it says 1979 on it. But I swear it looks like something that should be from 1983. These were common in the mid-80s, you know? Quite common. And there's a lot of McCartney... Like I have Spies Like Us
0: as a big old Mm -hmm. 12-inch. I
2: have that as well, yeah. My
0: Carnival on the Back. Right. I think Paul should have included this song on the album. I know he argued against including it, as he
1: did on... Would it
2: fit? I guess anything would fit. You could put anything on this album. Yeah. It's so eclectic and... And disjointed, why not throw Goodnight Tonight on there?
0: Yeah, especially if it's going to help promote it, for sure. It just seems like it was sort of a misstep. But this was a song that the record company told Paul. Actually, the guy at the record company is a guy named Mercer, too. Sorry about that, Chris. Hmm. And, he, <laughs> and he was like, this is not going to work. Don't put this out. And Paul was like yes, I want to put this out. And Paul was right. And the guy was like, if there's anything I know about Paul McCartney, he's going to do what he wants. So I just let him do what he wanted. And, you know, thank God it was a hit. So. (laughs)
2: Well, the B-side is for me better than the A-side. Daytime nighttime suffering. I probably said this a few times on the podcast, but this is among my favorite solo Paul McCartney songs.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. It's Paul's favorite solo
2: McCartney song. Yeah, well, he's right. He has good taste. <laughs> good choice, Paul.
3: <laughs> what does she get for all the love she gave you? There are- we yeah. yeah.
2: This is a wonderful track, just a gem, full of surprises, great tune, great interesting structure, and some really good singing, and seems to have been written very quickly, a couple days before it was recorded. Do you want to tell the story about the Wings songwriting contest? I I was
0: just going to ask you if you know the story. Of course, you know the story. Paul, in the studio, recording Back to the Egg, at this point at Replica, which we'll get into that too, and (laughs) just as an aside... As I was researching this, it's like this is just like as zany as we've gotten with Paul to this point. This album just feels so whimsical and zany even it in the story behind it. I know. Right. Paul's recording in New Orleans for Venus and Mars. I mean, I don't have to go through the whole history, but like he had a replica studio of Abbey Road built at his MPL offices in Soho in London because Abbey Road was booked with like Kate Bush or something like that.
2: Kate Bush. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Oh, and they did it, and it wasn't months. It was like days that they were able to turn this replica <laughs> studio around. So it's ridiculous. Anyway, so the story is they're in there. Ah, uh, to be a millionaire rock star. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a treat? Man, oh, man. So they're recording, and Paul, as we've mentioned, he's. He, whether he's saying it or not, he's like sort of fed up with wings. He's like, okay guys. So over the weekend, everybody go write a song. And then whoever writes the best song on Monday, it gets to be the B side of the single. So Steve Holly, Denny Lane, Juber, even Linda, they all go write something. And Paul comes in with this track. So
2: it's, yeah. The ge- comes in with one of his best tracks. Yeah. yeah well congratulations paul you beat steve holly <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> well
0: as we both know the subtext that we're both not saying and i'll just speak to it he's recreating the competitive john lennon team with this right. game but- Well, whatever
2: he has to do great song So it has this amazing moment toward the end where suddenly the thing turns into a little acapella. Yes. And yeah, it's such a great... He reprises that on the song New, does a similar thing toward the end of the song, right? This one is definitely better, though. Oh, this one's better for sure. When New came out, though, I was very charmed. I didn't know if if it was an intentional self-reference or just going back to a, a successful technique. But these are the only two songs where I've heard him do quite that. Right. Right, right. Stop everything and and make a little a little a cappella
1: choir. <laughs>
0: So this single, Good Night Tonight, was released the 23rd of March in 1979 on Parlophone, EMI, in Columbia, And it was a massive success for Paul McCartney. Number one in Canada, number five in the UK singles charts, also number five in the US Billboard Hot 100. Despite it being this bizarre disco. I mean, the disco of this time doesn't sound like this. That's the thing that Not really. that, I, that I find so bizarre about McCartney and this single. Like, it's obviously Beattly, but also Wingsy. Yeah. But is is it
2: was it edgy? I, don't, I mean, it's it's also pointing the way to McCartney too a bit.
0: Exactly.
2: Right. It started with the drum machine and you know a beatbox actually. Right. Right. And him overdubbing some keyboards and things over it. So. This and also Wonderful Christmas Time, which we'll we'll touch on later, are sort of him moving into his mindset for McCartney 2. Which
0: I know you don't like as much as I do. I think McCartney 2 is Paul being creative again. And back to the egg and McCartney 2 sort of wipe the slate clean. Tug of War is this masterful return to form. Not quite as good as Ram, but it's up there for me. Mm. What a record. It it
2: is for me as well. So
0: yeah, here we are again at the end of another band breaking up. Paul is recording this album, kind of throwing everything to the wall. I mean, this is no Abbey Road. This is no Let It Be (laughs) Slash Get Back. It's the end of the cocaine and weed-filled 70s for all these rock and roll guys. And he's about to restart it again with McCartney too. But that's us digressing from the point of why we're here, which is back to the egg.
2: Yes, we'll get into a detailed analysis of bogey music soon enough.
1: Yes,
0: back to the egg. I'm going to just jump in and talk about the cover. I'm going to, if it's a zany album, let's jump around a bit.
2: <laughs> Shall we start with the bolo tie?
0: I mean, yes. What a fantastic choice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he looks like a a Bond
0: villain or something. Yeah. McCartney's a Bond villain. And this, it's I, it's my favorite Paul McCartney record cover, period. Like it is. Really? Yes. It's just so ridiculous. You have the Wings greatest hits. That little statue, in yes, the, in the background on this obviously built set. You have the Wings logo all over the place yes. and all these little details. They've rolled back That's the right. rug. This new uh, version of Wings is all on the cover. <laughs> they're looking through what is what spaceship doors? T- yeah,
2: to Earth? they're looking. They're- it turned yeah, to Earth, and I think there's a double meaning where Earth is the egg too. So back to the egg to your origin point, like they're coming in from outer space, back to the egg, Earth, but also wings, you know, a bird, back to the egg. Yeah. Some kind of return to the womb, return to the egg pun going on here. I
0: heard I read it was like the shell, the safety of touring <laughs> like the mm. egg. I I don't know. It's it's just so wacky.
2: I thought it was wings starting over. That was the idea. Back to the egg. That we got a new yeah. band, we got a new lineup, we got a new sound, and we're starting over. It's a great title. It's like back to the drawing board, but it's wings, so egg instead of drawing yeah. board.
0: Yeah. Wacky.
2: I could just hear Paul McCartney explaining this right now. <laughs> exactly. I think I'm doing him justice exactly. with this. You know,
0: uh, you know, it's like <laughs> kind of when you come back to the beginning and the beginning yeah. It's like a circle, man. <laughs> anyway, so this cover was done by a group called Hypnosis. They've done, and this is a long list, so bear with me here, 10CC, ACDC, Bad Company, Black Sabbath, ELO, Peter Frampton, Peter Gabriel, Led Zeppelin, The Alan Parsons Project, yes, XTC. And there were a few other McCartney records, right?
2: Yes, Venus and Mars, Wings at the Speed of Sound, went on to do Tug of War and Pipes of Peace.
0: And we're not going to talk about this album,
2: but they did the Wings
0: Greatest cover. And did you know that this design team was flown to the Swiss Alps to shoot that figurine that's on the cover of Back to the Egg?
2: Ah, to be a millionaire rock star. Yeah,
0: to shoot a figurine on the snow. And if you look at the, pull out the cover or Google the cover of Wings Greatest, it doesn't look like it was shot in the Alps. It could have been in a facility. It could have been on a white background. It's ridiculous. Anyway, great cover to this album. So here we are, back to the egg. You pull this thing out. You put it on. London Town had been released. You had these two massive hits last time. The first track that you get you is not a song. It's a bass guitar line. The song Reception. Was, uh, apparently been doing something In the background, we have a bunch of
2: radio dramas, or these are things that he found, I think. In the aren't these recordings that he yeah, found? I
0: have. I have. It's the Lutheran. Like from, they're
2: from old. They're from old radio broadcasts. Yeah. Here's what they are: the Lutheran
0: Hour, which is a Norwegian program on Norea Radio, hosted by Ovlind Andersen, and the Poodle and the Pug from Vivian Ellis' opera, Big Ben, from 1946. What do you think of this track? I like the bass line. I think it's a great bass line. If I ever pick up a bass guitar, I'll play this bass line or Goodnight Tonight. And I didn't realize that they were off the same album until right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like this one. It turns out that uh, they also do a little foreshadowing on the broadcast on this track. They weave in a few lines here and there, very expertly weave in a few lines from the big string melody in the broadcast later in the album. I didn't even notice that until I was listening through some rough mixes from Back to the Egg, and I came across a long version of Reception with the broadcast's strings just playing the whole time over it. Yes, yeah, that's so right. So apparently this was before they went through and started pruning it. Chopping it up, by right?
3: To
1: and you and you if you, reflect, you, know a spent. The and
2: you we, we just said on our last podcast that McCartney has a knack for coming up with arresting opening tracks I think it's is a great way to start it's a great out. way It's short start. enough to be harmless it's a bit mysterious it's about the radio and then tunes immediately into a song that has references to the radio so
0: not bad not bad at all so the radio broadcasts move into the sound of a radio dial switching and it just lands on this big opening a chord of getting closer
1: <laughs> say you don't
2: It's a great moment. So far, so good on this album. Yeah, really, <laughs> I mean, really, that's, really It's a great good. moment, yeah.
0: So this tune was written in 1972, and it was among the songs that Paul played for Dustin Hoffman. Do you remember during that little writing session where he came I up with Picasso? I did not know yes. that. He played this tune for Dustin Hoffman, and we have a cool piano demo of it Yes. where it's this slower... It's not the big pop rocker that we have here.
2: And it's missing some of the music, too. It's missing one of the sections. Keeping ahead of the rain on the road, that part. The windshield wiper section. That's not there. Yeah.
1: You said you love me. My salamander.
0: time goes by, the more I like how just ridiculous this song is.
2: And it was a single. Oh, I'm a big fan of Getting Closer. This is fine power pop with silly lyrics. Couldn't be happier with this.
0: I never really get why this is not on a compilation though. I don't know why he didn't put this. Like, I don't think any of these songs have made it off of this album. Paul even considers this album underground, which is weird <laughs> to even consider a McCartney album being where did this one chart getting closer which was the second single off of the album it didn't do so well it was 20 on the US Billboard Hot 100 and number 60 in the UK
2: so I don't remember hearing it much on the radio I think when I bought this album in I guess 84 I think that was the first time I'd heard that song
1: yeah
0: yeah it, uh, no. it didn't do it didn't do so well but it's a shame uh, the B side was Spin It On in the US and Baby's Request in the UK.
3: Oh, no, don't oh, no. I'm getting closer.
2: fine little power pop song some nicely absurd lyrics i'm not sure they add up to much we should however point out that this song seems to have my salamander as a term of endearment i love that i've never though. heard that as a term of endearment i think it's pretty cool yeah for years i just assumed i was mishearing it as a kid i just thought it can't be my salamander
0: yes yeah, so but you don't love it it, it my is salamander. Right?
2: when will you see me my salamander <laughs>
0: Uh, cattle beware of the snipers, though. I don't know about that line. What is that? It's such a weird line. <laughs> Hitting the chisel and making a joint, gluing my fingers together. Radio play yeah. me a song with a point. Sailor beware of the weather. I always just thought that was, like, him looking back at London town, just, like, with a nod. Huh.
2: I always thought that was him driving around smoking pot. It's probably both, man. Now, I read something in the Parazzi about this track that I thought was pretty remarkable. Yeah. Which is that at least some of the electric guitars are played with a drumstick rather than a pick. Yep. Yes, Yeah. that's true. Well, it does have a remarkable electric guitar sound. I have a hard time believing all of them are are doing that. I think some of them are Some picks. of them, yeah. A lot of experimentation on this
0: album, as we'll see. But yeah, I was surprised to read mm. that as well. So the next track, We're Open Tonight, was actually considered for the album's title.
2: This strikes me as a bit of a sequencing misstep. Toward the end of the album on So Glad to See You Here, there's a little reprise of We're Open Tonight. And so he wanted to have this callback from the end of the album back to the beginning. Yeah. The problem is that We're Open Tonight was originally conceived as a modest Venus and Mars-like introductory track for the album. Correct. And it still feels like an introductory track. So we've already had a wacky introductory track, and we've started the album, and suddenly we break the momentum for a second introductory track. That's how it always felt to me. Well, yeah, it should be We're
0: Open Tonight into Getting Closer. Reception, maybe cut reception in half or something. Or exclude it. You could exclude it. I like it, but you could exclude it, you know? You could have put We're Open Tonight at the top of the B-side, or you could have put We're Open Tonight at the top of the A-side and put reception
2: at the top of the B-side. I like the idea of We're Open Tonight at the top of the B-side as an introduction to Rockestra theme. Although I, I like the idea of this album without Rockestra theme, so that's an... <laughs> That's another. Uh, you issue know what? I'm just going to jump
0: right there with you. I think I get rid of it. Okay.
2: I, put it out as a single. Yep. Put it out with "So Glad to See You Here" as a an oddball, fun A side, B side. As we've said so many times, we would have no grudge against that as a single.
0: And, w- and actually, this is a good point to say this. The song "Cage," the mm. one of the highlights, along with "Water Spout" on "Cold Cuts," was meant to be the second track on this album. So it wasn't supposed to be getting Mm. closer. It was supposed to be radio noise into Cage and then into getting closer. Yeah.
2: Oh, that would have been great. Right.
0: Reception, Cage, getting closer. And Cage was omitted for the Mills Brothers track. Well, that Paul wrote for the Mills
2: Brothers. Right. Baby's request. Right. Which is a demo, but we'll come we'll back get, to it. We'll get right back to that. Right. But we're open tonight. Yeah, you know, I like the funky chords. I just read this morning about Lawrence Juber's sort of ad hoc 12-string guitar part that's slightly out of tune and you know that and that sounds great. I was listening to it this morning uh listening specifically for that. Right. So I think it's a, it has cool atmosphere. I like the Rototoms. You know, it's, it's a cool track in a lot of ways. The Remo Rototoms, right. But it's really underdone. It's not much of a song. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit problematic. I don't dislike it, but I don't like what it does to the momentum here.
0: Like we said on London Town, it's, it's a I'm carrying sort of tune. It's one of these little
2: ditties. So on to Spin It On, track four. Bye. <laughs> Here we have our first really concerted effort to do some new wave.
0: Yeah, and the the production on this one is cool. It's one live drive performance, and then there are two drum overdubs over it. So Holly Ah. played a pile of toms with a single snare drum on top of his drum beat, and he started to hit the snare every once again, but that's how you get this big kind of sound on this track. And... It's a great one. I mean, it's it's bizarre, but the
2: lyrics are awesome. The lyrics are very strange. I think we should go over them. All right. I don't know what this song is about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read the first yeah, verse. please. Now, I just want to say in advance that I don't have any copy of Back to the Egg that has official lyrics with it. The original LP omitted them. Yeah. The Parlophone reissue omitted them. Yeah, that's right. So I don't have any official lyrics for this. So I'm reading this from... I went through a few websites and they contradict each other, but here's, here's what I've got here. Off to the flicks with the piddle in her nicks, to the fair with her hair in curlers, her cousin couldn't get down to the pleasure dome. Her cousin had to spend the night in an aircraft hangar. Memories. Spin it the on. cousin? Don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> and we come back with the cousin later. Her cousin couldn't get on down to the village hall. Her cousin had to spend the night on a pinball table memories yeah wow. I, I really admire how insane that is how brazenly insane that is i have no idea what he's talking off about. to the
0: fields with the missionary zeal for the life of the wife of the farmer mm-hmm. yeah boil crisis this is like a better version of boil crisis
2: mm, like a really refined boil crisis yeah where he's just talking i believe i just said that i like this yeah.
0: tune it's big it's crazy yeah. we should actually play a bit of the stooges i feel all right you may not feel alright if you're listening to I Feel Alright. It's almost the same feel and
1: riff.
0: Paul definitely had his ear to the ground on this one. Like, it's... it's close. Good enough that it was a
2: B-side. I don't love it, but I like the wackiness of it.
0: I agree. Next up is Denny Lane's first big appearance, again and again and again. Well, it's another fantastic
2: Denny Lane song.
0: Yeah, two tunes, if I remember correctly, that Paul had suggested to Denny, like, well, why don't we put these together and you'll have another track.
2: It has a a great soaring melody. It sort of starts off almost like a country song, and it makes its way to this, this really big, gorgeous melody before getting around to the again and again and again part.
0: Good lyrics too for Denny. Winter time is coming now. Give me a sign if you can somehow. Like yeah, it's
2: It's a good one. It's a great song. How do you feel this one gels with the sound of the album? It or it takes it, it
0: takes me out of the album for a bit. I th- I mm-hmm. think we're actually uncovering the problems with this record as we walk through it. I
2: don't know if it if it should have been on Sunny Side Up. You know, I'm looking at side one and I'm I'm seeing a very dark side one. Yeah, it's dark. This is all very dark. And then again and again and again comes out as this cheerful thing. It does sort of break up the darkness of side one.
0: Well, I'll agree with that.
2: So that brings us to Old Siam, Sir. Old Siam, comma, sir. The first single
0: of this record, but in the UK only, June 1st, 1979 with um, Spin It On as, as its B-side. It did make it up to 35. Didn't do very well.
2: This one was a B-side in the US, right?
0: Yes. It was the B-side to Arrow Through Me, which is the the single after Getting Closer. I've read conflicting stories and I'd like to hear what you think. So we have the demo Super Big Heat Wave, which is on a collection of sorts yes. that we have, which is obviously where the riff comes from, right?
2: Right. And some of the tune, too. He starts to sing along later and it sounds like Old Side right.
0: Now, there's a story where there's the new members of Wings were rehearsing and Steve Holly came up with this riff when Paul arrived at the studio. They're jamming before Paul shows up and then denny was like hey check out this riff and paul's like cool and so like denny got the credit for it and whether that story is true or not i read that in doyle it still kind of reflects like the tense nature of being in wings like it's
2: that's competitive
0: it, yeah quite an interesting story
2: So I was listening to to it this morning and in some ways hearing it for the first time. Reading along with the lyrics, which again, insofar as these lyrics are accurate that I have here, but is this a song about a prostitute? Is this a song about a a Siamese prostitute? (laughs) Siamese being Thai, a Thai prostitute Um, coming to England? (laughs) (laughs) The lady who lost her way. She found her. Oh, she she waited round in Walthamstow, and she scouted round, round in, in, Scarborough. in Scarborough, and she's looking for a man. And then later in the song, she gets a letter that things are bad back home, and she needs to get even more money and to go back home, I think, or to send money back home. I'll go with it. I never took this song the slightest bit seriously. I thought it was nonsense, but I looked at it, and it seems to actually make some sense. Whether it's an interesting thing to write a song about or not, or an appropriate thing to write a song about or not, I don't know, but it's strange because the the riff you're talking about, by making the song, first of all, Siam is an outdated name for Thailand. And by making the song about, you know, mentioning Siam and then having the... Yeah. Which is a bit like... Right. We're getting into Orientalism, kind of, something yeah. like that. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's, a, it's an oddball. What is
0: this? Uh, a single, the first single off <laughs> of this album. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it intended to be new wave? It doesn't sound new wave to me. I've never, hmm, but particularly, it is hard rock. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never particularly loved this song, but no, but now neither. that we're talking about it, you're identifying that the lyrics are just so off the wall. They're a lot like the Spin It On lyrics, and I think Paul is just listening to all of this punk. Sex pistols. But I
2: gotta tell you, I love the way he says "Walth and Yeah. and "Scarborough." Yeah, <laughs> that's a that stroke of genius right there.
1: Oh
0: yeah, I mean the the performance is great. It's a great McCartney vocal. In one of the reviews we'll get to, they were talking how like this album it's McCartney and he's not aware of the camera in, in terms of audio. Mm. Where a lot of the other records you can hear that he's very focused on getting the vocal and the edit right and it's just
2: a good observation. Yeah, cuz like yeah.
0: it's Old Time Anthem is a great vocal. Spin it on is a great vocal. And they're imperfect in a way where we don't normally hear.
2: I was just thinking that very thing this morning as I was listening, but in a negative way. And I guess we'll get to it. We'll get to it, in fact, let's talk about it in the context of Arrow Through Me. Fair enough. This is a song that I wish had a perfect McCartney vocal. As I'm listening to this album, you know, old Siam, sir, it's very interesting. He's not making it all the way up to the note. His voice is shredded, and he's a little flat of the note most of the time. So his voice is shredded, and very unusually for Paul, it's affecting his intonation. We go into Arrow Through Me, and this is some of the weakest intonation of McCartney in the 70s. I yeah. Think. The, the intonation's pretty... It's pretty pitchy at times. He's singing it as though he were still singing Old Siam sir. He's hmm. singing it in the same shredded voice, but at the same time trying to manage all these falsetto acrobatics and going in and out of falsetto and it just it needs the the trademark perfect McCartney vocal and I found myself really missing it. By the end of the album, I'm tired of hearing his voice all shredded and grainy.
0: Yeah, it's quite shredded and quite grainy on this one. Bass is replaced to the Fender Rhodes, and all the instruments on the track, every single one, all the instruments are keyboards. And it's only Holly and McCartney, Steve Holly, piano, mm-hmm. some guides, drums, a and snare part recorded at half speed, and then that goofy flexitone that,
2: yes, uh, brings such a nice flavor to the
0: track. Yeah. The quote I have from Lawrence Juber about this tune. I remember Paul Simon listening to a playback of it and just being wide-eyed at the sound that we got with this.
2: That's pretty cool. It is a remarkable sound. It's different from the rest of the album. The song reminds me a little bit of Letting Go. The feeling of the song, the mood of the song reminds me a bit of Letting Go. A little bit bluesy, but this has a lot of fancy jazz harmony in it, and the melody is so sweeping and remarkable at times.
0: Yeah, and that horn part's in 7-4.
2: It's in seven against, they're going on in two, four, but the horn parts repeating every seven.
0: Yeah. It's really, really great.
2: There's a rough mix of Paul singing this clearly a guide vocal and he sings the horn parts. So it's, it's confirmed that he came up with that horn part. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing about Arrow Through Me is that it is the one song on this album that I was already familiar with when I got my copy of Back to the Egg as a kid. I had already heard it because it is featured in the opening sequence of Oh Heavenly Dog starring oh, yeah. Benji and the voice of Chevy Chase. I don't <laughs> know what it's doing there. Some kind, maybe Columbia, it's a Columbia inside deal or something
1: that to help right. promote
2: the album. Anyway, it's there for no good reason at the beginning of that movie, and I, I came across that as a kid. I remember flipping around and recognizing the voice instantly and stopping and listening and, and figuring out what that was and where it came from. So when I first heard this album, that was the only song I already knew. Subsequently, I did hear it on the radio a bit once I knew to listen for it. So it did get a little play. As, as late as the you know mid-'80s, it was still showing up on the radio sometimes. Got it.
0: Well, that does it for "Sunny Side Up." If you flip the record over, you'll have the overeasy side, the B side. Rochester theme is what kicks us off, which was, believe it or not, a single in France. <laughs> but uh, was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We can hear a demo of it that comes from the same piano tape in 1974. Is getting closer. This thing is just this big old instrumental or mostly instrumental rocker with, all right, I'm gonna try this. Now, correct me if I miss anybody. You got Denny Lane, Lawrence Juber, David Gilmore, Hank Marvin, and Pete Townsend on guitars. Steve Hawley, John Bonham, Kenny Jones on drums. McCartney's on piano. John Paul Jones, Ronnie Lane, Bruce Thomas from The Attractions are on bass. Then Gary Brooker, Lyndon McCartney, and Tony Ashton are on keyboards. With Speedy Aquay, Tony Carr, Ray Cooper, and Morris Pert on percussion, and our old friends Howie Casey, Tony Dorsey, Steve Howard, and Thaddeus Richard on horns. The Rockestra.
2: Now, to be clear, the name Rockestra is a cute pun, but really this is a big Phil Spector wall of sound thing they're doing here. It's just layered over and over, really, but done live rather than Phil Spector's style with, with overdubbing. In other words, I'm saying this doesn't have a lot of inner parts or anything. It's not as if all these people are playing different parts and they've made an orchestral style thing. It's just a huge rock band doubling on all the parts. During this album, they were recording in a castle, which
0: we haven't even even touched on that yet. Of course they were. (laughs)
1: we're,
0: Can I just say? (laughs) Ah, to be a millionaire rock star? (laughs) Should be the subtitle of this episode. I just got to say this too. Steve Holly's drums were in like the fireplace of this castle, and it's just crazy. It's just whack. This whole thing sounds like a cartoon. They recorded a take, and then they're like, well, let's try to overdub it. They did it. They loved it. Then they did it a third time, and I don't know how many more times they did it. That's where this idea came from. Okay, well, let's
2: make the Rockestra. I see. Yeah. And again, what you're describing is Phil Spector. I'm surprised that McCartney thought he had a very novel idea here, having been around Phil Spector at least by association if not directly he he knew John Lennon's work with Phil Spector well and
0: I mean it's so oh, the tunes okay the is okay I like the yeah. like the Pennsylvania 65,000, uh little the thing they all shout they go why haven't i had any dinner I I don't mind uh-huh. that I think it makes <laughs> yeah it's the track clever that's
2: yeah, nicely off the wall isn't it yeah
0: like what's the difference between this and just Having had Wings overdub
2: it five times or three times. They did that with the 24. That's where they got the idea. So, yeah, why not? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, there is a difference. Listen, listen, there is a difference. I mean, there's a difference between a person playing the violin 16 times and 16 violin players. You get a, you know, you get a different sound when you have all those different... It's just that he's, like I said before, he's not doing anything subtle enough with it for it to matter. Right. It's just a bunch of raw doubling, so...
0: So this track recorded October 3 to 4, along with So Glad to See You Here, which we'll run into in a second. The demo was in the castle. This, this actually, they booked Abbey Road for this one. And there's some video of it floating around. So the concert for Campuchia, which by the way, and that's another aside, this is as, as far as I can tell, some of the best end of wings performance footage that I've ever seen or heard. And Paul's voice is great. And the band sounds good. It's the band on this album. This is
2: the stuff that's included on the McCartney Two archive edition. Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's where stuff.
0: the, the coming up live single comes from.
2: Yeah. So
0: right. They, yeah. They brought everybody out for this tune and Pete Townsend refused. I guess everyone had like silver suits on. Like these glitzy silver suits for the orchestra. Uh-huh. This, this is totally McCartney and Paul. Before playing the song, is like, is like, and thanks to everybody except for Pete Townsend, who wouldn't wear the suit because he's a poof, <laughs> which is like a British slang for gay. And uh-huh. one of them Wings members like puts a silver hat on him, and he just like angrily throws it into the audience, and they go into the song. But <laughs> really funny. Really funny stuff.
3: Yeah.
0: So the next track on the record, To You, recorded at Spirit of Ranachan Studios on June 29th, 78. This is, uh, this is a bizarre little tune. I don't
2: know what to make of this it one. Is. For years, I really liked it. Now I don't think I like it.
0: It's not much of a song, is it? I don't, there's not a, the chorus no. isn't great.
2: No. And I really dislike the singing on it, too. Really terrible. Yeah, I and mean, he's just being flipped the whole time. Like, <laughs> what's he doing? Yeah. He's, you know, fooling around and mugging a lot as if he's not taking this song seriously.
0: The rocking end is pretty cool, but that's just about it. Oh,
2: I do like the weird guitar solo. That's pretty great.
0: So Lawrence Juber is playing this electric guitar solo in the studio space and Paul is in the mixing booth, the mixing console, and he's playing an Evanside harmonizer. So yeah, that's where all these bizarre tonal sculpting sounds are coming from. Paul playing, manipulating, and if you pull up like a picture, one of these things to understand kind of what he was doing and any guitarist or synthesizer player knows, it's like knobs and slides.
2: It's great. It's cool. I mean, it does have the dark tone of side one. Maybe it would fit a little better. Maybe swap it out with again and again and again, and you can maintain the dark quality of side one.
3: After the ball, after the ball, you were the one out in the hall. You were the one, the one who would love me. After the ball.
2: Okay, so things brighten up after that. And the next, I would argue, four tracks. Really, it's two tracks, but it's four songs. And four pretty well-realized songs. Uh, This is good stuff. To me, this is, we're back in, like, all of a sudden we're on a good Paul McCartney album again.
1: Yes,
0: yes. After the Ball slash Million Miles and then Winter Rose slash Love Awake. And then if you're listening on the CD, After the Ball and Million Miles are one track. Winter Rose and Love Awake are one track. I mean, also on the digital platforms. Three of the four were recorded at The Castle, September 11th Mm -hmm. to the 29th, 78. That's After the Ball, A Million Miles, and Love Awake. And then Winter Rose was recorded at Spear of Ranachan in July, July 12th to the 17th.
2: That was the first of the group to be recorded.
0: Right. And so, yeah, let's just walk through these. After the Ball is this great little gospel number on the piano that just segues into this unbelievable little tune million miles paul yeah on the concertina
2: he's on the balcony of the castle singing and playing the concertina yeah with
0: uh not only that but like on one of those fortress sort of parts Uh of the castle (laughs) with a view of the view right yeah, yeah yeah the english channel yeah and he's just singing, I, this one gets me every time. Million Miles is a nice
2: little song. Oh, what a vocal. Like, Paul the vocalist is there on this one.
0: Yes, 100%. How
3: many million miles
0: This one is buried. This song is just buried, this is a gem. This is one of those gems where this little section is worth the price of the record or even knowing about the album. It sure is. So this tune, Million Miles, 1973. That's when it
2: was written. Yes, as a piano demo.
0: It also exists on the piano tape, right?
2: Yeah, in fact, I think it's the same batch as Getting Closer.
0: Right. So or I mean, I mean,
2: around the same time, yeah. <laughs> vocal on million miles and and the track right before it after the ball beautiful vocal on that and that's one where the shredding the shredding works and he's precise. it's like oh darling again with the shredding combined with precise intonation and control. So I love it. I love the singing on uh, after the ball slash million miles and I love the concertina sounds great ha- having after the ball build up a little bit and then we come out into this sort of space where it's just Paul singing. Accompanying himself it's, it's fantastic. All through the summer I have followed you around,
3: bring a rose for the winter that's coming now the snow is on the ground. Winter
0: So next up is Winter Rose into Love Awake, as we had mentioned. So Winter Rose is this really delicate tune with the great synthesizer arrangements, nice instrumentation. But the best part of this track, I think, is Love Awake, which Mm. is a really, really, really nice track in the Paul McCartney vein, which I was surprised by demoed in 1976. So this could, you could mm-hmm. have even seen this on Wings at the Speed of Sound or maybe London Town for that yeah. matter.
2: It would fit very well on London Town actually.
0: Yeah. And there's a big long version of it that is okay. But- there's
2: a long version. Yeah. The thing about the long version, I'm fond of the long version because we get the song, you know, in an expanded form. So I like having more of the song. I agree that the arrangement and the style aren't as good. There's a sort of country vibe on the the original version. Yeah. And there's a harmonica on there, um, so I'm not crazy about the feel of it. But it opens with an extended section of just Paul and acoustic guitar. That's that's quite lovely. We'll play a bit of that here. Love away,
3: toll the bell, tell
0: Also featured on this track is the Black Dyke Mills Band. These guys were mm-hmm. on the songs Bob" and Etc., which were songs that Paul did back in his Beatle days, in the late 60s. This might be my favorite song on the album, Love Awake.
2: Yeah, it's right there with Getting Closer and Arrow Through Me, for me. It's a nice bright moment on the album. We've had so much minor key, sort of dark stuff on this album. It's nice to have this this sort of sweet McCartney ballad. both very Beatlesy, and at the same time I could hear this on tug-of-war right right
0: yeah uh-huh. and that bridge like lord knows we need it anytime we can get it the chords and the melody it's just special yeah.
2: Now Winter Rose is a rather haunting Yeah, thing. it's spooky with a strange yeah creepy vocal. The speaker of that song seems to be Winter itself. Okay. Bringing a rose and it's spoken in the almost like death pursuing you. I'm bringing a rose, you know, I'm coming. And that creepy voice and as you say the very a very mysterious arrangement actually the the sound of it is a little bit like We're Open Tonight. They those two fit together yeah. nicely.
0: They're like the 12 string guitar stuff.
2: Yeah, and that's a that's a nice setup for Love Awake. Not only the, the winter spring thing that the two do, but also we reach, in a way, the darkest point on the album with Winter Rose before we go to the, the most cheerful song on the album. And
0: there's even a lyric at the end of the track snow falls in the winter, spring brings the rain. But it's never too long before the summer comes again. It always comes it. again.
4: We may win or we may lose may even have to cut and run for it. Well, it won't be the first time I've run, and it won't be the first time I've been caught. It's the game that matters. Brother, I am proud to know you. This is one of the greatest moments I have ever experienced. I think I sense the situation when I say that we all esteem it an honour to breathe the rather inferior atmosphere of this station here along with our little friend. I guess we shall all go home and treasure the memory of his face as the whitest thing in our Museum of Recollections. And perhaps this good woman will also go home and wash the face of our little brother here. I'm inspired with a new faith in mankind. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish to present to you a sure enough saint who only wants a halo to be transfigured. Stand right up.
2: So, that brings us to the broadcast. What do you think of this Well,
4: I will
0: say this. McCartney brought David Bowie into the studio, and he played him this whole album. He played him all the tracks. And he asked him for his opinions of the songs. And Bowie's like, keep this, I don't like this, this is good, don't do this. Bowie suggested to Paul that this be the first single off the album.
2: Bowie was yanking his chain. I mean,
0: maybe. From an from an (laughs) from an arty perspective, it's cool. From an actual song perspective, it's not. It's
1: Yeah.
0: It's the castle owners. Harry and and Deirdre Mm
2: -hmm. Marjorie. I actually love the awkward style of their reading. Yeah, it's not not quite professional. But I like it. It's, It's
0: strange. And those are readings from their library, which was in the castle. Uh-huh. The Sport of Kings by Ian Hay and The Little Man by John Galsworthy. It was recorded in the kitchen of the mm-hmm. castle. Some of the sentences that I've been saying on this podcast, I can't believe I'm saying. It's just that rock and roll access you keep talking about. Access and excess, yeah. for that matter. I don't dislike the track.
2: I think it's, it's one transitional track too many. With the broadcast, the album officially becomes pretty fragmented. This is where it gets to be pretty disjointed. Yeah. He does, you know, to his credit, as I already pointed out, tie it in with reception. But, <sighs> you know, he's sort of testing our patience yeah. a bit here with this.
0: Let's just move on. So the next track is the track we had previously mentioned it was recorded in a day or two at Abbey Road. So glad to see you here with the Rockestra. Now this is more of a song than... It's a bit better than the Rockestra, Rockestra theme. Rockestra theme. I guess I would have taken one or the other on the album. Right. Or
2: none. Okay. <laughs> or I think our idea of A-side, B-side for these two tracks as a single separate from the album is a good one. And you know what? We're going to be repeating that theme a few times in upcoming episodes, so let's introduce it now. We can improve this album by extracting a lovely standalone single of those two related tracks, and we could replace them with Cage or whatever, and we'd have a a much better album. Agreed. So yeah, this is the
0: same group of guys as before. Another set of nonsensical lyrics that, from what I can tell, are about rolling a joint.
2: Yeah, that's supposedly, yeah. Uh,
0: that's a nice phrase.
2: So glad to see you here. Yeah. I don't have much to say about it. Let's play a little bit of it and move on. <laughs>
0: So that brings us to Baby's Request, which is a fantastic tune. But from what I just found out, and you said earlier, it's just a demo.
2: It's a demo. Which maybe explains why he went with the trombone. They were just in the studio making a demo. He's like, I'm not going to bring in a trombone player. Let's just, here, you know, I've got a new synthesizer. I could practice with it. It doesn't seem so unreasonable. It's just that when you finally put it on the album, you've got a a cheesy synth trombone. Well, let's not obsess about the synth trombone, but... Yeah, but that maybe explains that. Otherwise though, it's actually a pretty well-made little record. It's a great And tune. it's, you know, as yeah, and it's in the McCartney tradition of of these sort of nostalgic songs, pastiche songs. It's a great tune. It's a good bit of melodic construction. It's a way a good way to end an album, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I just don't understand why this one versus Cage. I think you could have had both of these songs in this album and you could have killed something like
2: Two You. Baby's request was not going to be on the album. It was a demo for the Mills Brothers. And then Cage got pulled and this got put on.
0: Well, the Mills Brothers wanted to get paid to record the song. There was some problem with the business deal. And Paul's like, eh, no thanks. And then he just put Mm -hmm. it out.
2: Yeah, you have to wonder what happened there. Something to do with the managers or something?
0: It, it, like every business deal, something to do with something that yeah. is just so occluded and confusing that yeah. it just sort of falls to the cracks. But a great song, re-recorded on the "That Kisses on the Bottom" album or whatever the thing is called from 2012. So we re-recorded it in 2011, and it's not that good that version. This is definitely the better version.
3: When the moon lays his head on a pillow. And the stars settle down for a rest Just do me one small favor I beg you, please play me my baby's request It's the song that we heard when we started Now the birds have all flown from our nest you could bring back memories Departed by playing my baby's request My baby said That she knows how it goes But you're the one that really knows So go ahead Just one more time and then we're gonna bed.
0: That wraps up over easy. Wraps up back to the egg, the album, and drives us straight into just this interesting bit of history around the rest of the album. This is a very unusual period in McCartney slash Beatle history. Lawrence Juber and Steve Holly are two brand new members of this band, and we have barely even talked about these guys. So they're just included. On one album and they were included on one tour. Now this tour, as the world knows, ended in disaster. Paul got arrested for trying to smuggle weed into Japan. Chris, what do you know about this story?
2: Yeah, this whole situation is completely insane. He knew damn good and well not to try to bring marijuana into Japan. He was not allowed to tour there because of his prior drug arrests. And he made this decision, I guess, to put, what was it, a pound a yeah. weed in his suitcase? Like a large amount. And I think the story, which for Paul McCartney at that time, a pound is, I guess that's what he needed to get through the tour, right? To get through the Japan leg of the tour. But he just put his jacket over it. The story is he just put his jacket over it in his suitcase, as if he were wanting to get caught.
0: Yeah, and he had said something like, it was a subliminal sort of thing where he was fed up and there are stories from Juber and Lane and Holly how they didn't rehearse very much before they went out on this tour and everything had this rushed sort of unprepared element to it Back to the egg didn't do really well it only sold more than a million copies which is actually like, was a small number for Paul at the time and he had this big Huge new record contract with Columbia, and they were disappointed in the performance of the album and the singles. Paul even joked that Back to the Egg was less of a concept album and more of a bomb sapped album. <laughs> you know, uh, good one, Paul. And I fi- I just learned this. This is where the idea of cold cuts came from. It was a business decision. Columbia wanted this album of outtakes to make up for the fact that Back to the Egg didn't perform as well commercially as they thought it was going to. So, I see. Yeah, so they they were like, after all this stuff happened, Wings went back in the studio to try to put some overdubs on some of these discarded tracks so they could get another thing out. I think it was meant to be like 81, 80, just quick so they could make some cash back and Mm -hmm. Lennon got killed and it kind of just, this album as we'll see as we go through the 80s, I know we've been hinting at this throughout the whole project, the whole podcast but it just never gets finished, it just kind of ends up on a shelf and there's all these great songs in the vault
2: Well, that's interesting it's hard to imagine that Cold Cuts as I know it, and I think the version that we know is is as close to a final version as he got to hard to believe it would have done that well in 1981, but maybe water spout would have been a big hit. Yeah. There are some tracks on there that, you know, water spout and what else could have been on the radio? I don't, I don't know. Only water spout, water spout cage. I can't see cage on the radio. That's a great album track, but I'd be surprised to see that as a hit.
0: trying to think of what else is on there. If they had done, like a studio version of Best Friend,
2: maybe. I mean, A Love for You wasn't really radio-friendly. Yeah. Uh, Mama's Little Girl, not really.
0: Yeah, it would just have been a goofy album of rarities that would have made up some of the money for the record company, but maybe we'll get it one day, maybe we won't. But it answers my question that I've had for a long time, of why hasn't he just put the thing out? And it's because it was a record company's idea. It wasn't his idea.
2: So he... Somewhat uncharacteristically, went along with it for a while. Yeah, before it got abandoned. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. the The story is he had a two million dollar advance on future albums, with a twenty two percent royalty, and the president of the company, guy named Walter Yetnikoff, he even threw in a clause that allowed McCartney and Linda to use the company's private jet at any time. As people look back on this time, they're like, "Well, it, maybe this was too much money." For a guy who potentially was past his prime. I mean, we'll see in a few years he wasn't. If Paul McCartney's career had ended at this time, it still would be one of
2: the most successful
0: careers ever in music.
2: Sure. Well, you can see the appeal of a Cold Cuts project for the record company. They're already paying Paul so much for an advance. At least there are no significant recording costs associated with an album of leftovers. Even if they do some overdubs, it's not like the cost of recording a brand new album.
0: Exactly.
2: I'm surprised, though, that Columbia had acquired not only all of his previous solo albums, but actually would be able to get a hold of those tapes. I'm surprised EMI wouldn't own all of the tapes from the outtakes. But I guess the Columbia deal must have encompassed everything. Yeah, it's really interesting, it's very fascinating.
0: So there are some positive elements to this era. The orchestra theme won a Grammy Award for Best Rock Instrumental. That's not so bad. And like I said, the album sold over a million copies. It charted number six on the UK Albums charts, number two in Canada on their RPM Albums chart. It was number eight in the US Billboard Top 200. Like, people saw it and they heard it. It went gold in the UK. It went double platinum in Canada. For anybody to have had this success would be a huge milestone in their own lives. It's just, it happens to have happened in Paul McCartney's career. Right. So, and he even considers it, as I said earlier, like an underground sort of album. It's not anything anybody knows. And none of these songs have made it on compilations. This is the diehard fan album this is why this podcast exists
2: right this is the kind of stuff that i really want to talk about actually so it's it's really fun to talk about uh, warts and all <laughs> it's it's pretty good to yeah have a chance to go over it
3: everybody's talking up a stone act like they don't know what did. But here it is and here it comes. he comes the moon of-
0: couple more things real quickly that I failed to mention earlier. On May 19, 1979, there was a wedding celebration thrown by Eric Clapton at his home in Surrey to toast his marriage to Petty Boyd, we know as George Harrison's former wife. So George and Eric are friends again, and Paul, Ringo, and George end up at this wedding. They're called upstage stage. And Paul, describing Ringo as George as two old flames, they performed a few numbers, including Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Get Back. And Denny Lane has said of the performers who was also there, he was like, the music was terrible. Absolute rubbish. (laughs) It's lucky nobody made a tape. Unlike uh, Tootin' a Snore in 74. Right. Oh, yeah, it's terrible, too. Yeah.
3: a Looks like a little brother to the sun. Oh, mother to the stars at night.
0: But a couple pieces of press, it's all more or less bad. But the most interesting quote that I pulled. Timothy White of Rolling Stone described it as the sorriest grab bag of dreck in recent memory and lamented that none of the songs were at least a bit fleshed out, with the listener instead giving an irritating display of disjointed images and unfocused musical snapshots. Since 1970, Timothy goes on to say, this ex-Beatle, Has been lending his truly prodigious talents to some of the laziest records in the history of rock and roll. Who, one felt compelled to ask, is left in charge here? Back to the Egg provides the final obvious answer
2: no one. (laughs) So. That's a bit over the top, isn't it? Over the top. You know, it's interesting because for me, one of the album's redeeming qualities is precisely its eclecticism. The, the, in fact, almost the exact wording he's using there to critique the album, I could turn around as a as great praise for the album.
0: It's a great one for fans. This is not the album to start out with. But if you've made it with us this far, or if this is the first podcast of ours you're listening to, you know maybe check out Ram. Maybe check out McCartney. Maybe check out Venus and Mars. But don't let this album be the album you judge Sir Paul McCartney's career on. <laughs>
2: So we've made a lot of references to Cage. You want to dig in on that? Yeah. The song structure
0: itself, the chord progression, is C-A-G-E. That riff. Mm -hmm. Like, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. You have this great riff with this great set of lyrics, a really sharp set of lyrics for Paul, into this... Classic McCartney, slower tempo tune in the vein of She Loves You, where he's he's telling the story to another person. He's, he's like the in-between person, just like in She Loves You, right?
2: Oh, but that's not how I read that oh, song, go song ahead. at all. How do you read it? I've been sent to tell you is it's his way of saying that, you know, the jerk last night, that wasn't me. That's what he's saying. Oh, that's very interesting. You know, now that I'm in my right mind, I'm coming to tell you that I I didn't mean all that stuff I said. That's what That's how I always read this. Hmm. I- And you were with last night is feeling sorry. I think that's what it. What it, he's talking about. That's his even better. Ba- well, own conf- the fact that there's so much interpretation to this, you know,
0: I, it's. I just. I. This is one of those tunes like Water Spout. I just put it out. You have this bizarre yeah. bridge where there's like these synthesizers or organs over a really really bizarre chord progression that doesn't even get you back. Into the original key, it takes you. He, what is that like a Calliope yeah. sound or something? In yeah, there?
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's no vocal. Burr, yeah, it burr, is, burr,
4: it's
2: it's very creative.
1: Burr, yeah. Burr, burr.
2: The part you're describing right there comes from the same demos as most of the rest of the song. The I've been sent to tell you part, I don't know where that comes from. That's not in any of the early demos of Cage that I've heard. Do you know anything about, was that added maybe at the last minute? Or is there a demo of that as a separate song I've been sent to tell you?
0: I've never heard that demo. If it ex- I'm sure it exists somewhere on all the cassettes that Paul's mm-hmm. always talking about. But yeah, it's it's just another one of... Paul had a couple ideas, and he mashed them together. Rearranged them. But uh, the most fascinating part of the song for me is that the last chorus, which is the cage part from the beginning, the first part's in C, as I mentioned. The end part and this middle part are in E. That bridge is not in that key. I think it's back in C. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the bridge has no real point. It doesn't move the chord. It doesn't set you up the right way. And it's unusual. It's like...
2: But if you check the demos, it was always part of his conception of the song. It,
0: yeah, it's crazy.
2: In fact, he's singing along. In one version, he's sort of singing some dummy lyrics during that part. So he may have intended it to have a vocal melody at some point.
0: Probably. It's it's just... Yeah, like you're like you said before, it's so creative. It just works. It's an exquisite little number. It's it's great. And the vocal at the end is screaming. He gets that rock and roll, the voice that you're talking about with the precision and the tone. It's just a shame. Uh-huh. It's a shame that this is not on Back to the Egg. I think it would have redeemed Back to the Egg a bit for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, it's a gem. I guess, again, if there's an archive edition of Back to the Egg, we'll certainly see it then. But for now, we just have the Cold Cuts version. And of course, these again, these early demos and rehearsals and stuff.
0: If I were on Paul McCartney's marketing team. Okay, maybe don't release all of Cold Cuts. Put out an A-side, B-side of Cage, Water Spout. Mm. Like a little vinyl. Christmas 2017, 2018, 2020, whatever it is.
2: Yeah, that would be cool. I'd love to have that single.
0: So that does it for Back to the Egg. Paul McCartney trying to reestablish the wing sound, but ultimately. Killing the Band, this is Wings' last flight. We have a troubled album with great songs, a troubled tour with great performances, and ultimately the album that saw the close of this 1970s, hugely commercially successful period for Paul, launch back into the solo album style that we saw with McCartney 1, with McCartney 2 coming up next completely clearing the decks for the second phase of his solo career or his true entrance into his career as Paul McCartney, the solo artist.
2: Right. And we're going to see some very interesting things over the next few podcasts. Paul's going to go in some very interesting directions and we're going to see some of his best work actually in the next few podcasts absolutely so do we want to wrap up with a little preview of mccartney 2 yeah let's do it all right we'll see you next time
0: You've been listening to the complete paul mccartney archive podcast that was back to the egg next up mccartney 2 thanks for listening
2: Theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon
1: and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady.